It's the 24th of May on theconstantinvestor.com. I'm James Brandis, and I'm speaking with Constant Investor member Bruce Cleary. Bruce, you are retired, and you're fi- financing your retirement through a self-managed super fund. What sort of work did you do during your career? Uh, well, a good part of the 25 years, I worked for a large English uh, food company, and um, 15 of those years I was general manager of uh, a number of large bakeries. Oh, that sounds good. Uh, yes, originally started as an accountant <laughs> and uh, ended up as general manager running major bakeries uh, in Australia. And uh, then uh, uh, at the end of that uh, period, I uh, went into a small business, into a business training, training executives uh, and business people how to be organised. <laughs> Did they, did they behave like baked goods? Was it the skills transferable? Um, very difficult um, because um, people uh, had so many things in their head and changing habits and changing views is, is really uh, extremely difficult unless they're a very willing, willing participant. Did you pick up any skills in, in changing views? Uh, only for myself, mainly. <laughs> I mean, it, I, I did this program before I took it on. It was a franchise program, and uh, and I found that um, leading a very busy life, having a lot of things on the go, um, tendency to forget things. How do I get myself organised so that I'm bulletproof, so that I'm on top of, you know, I can have a dozen different things going, and not let anything slip through the cracks, and it it becomes habit building and. And so that sort of, uh, I run my, I've been running my life since on, on that sort of program. And at what stage in life did you start thinking about investing for retirement? Uh, well, I had my first um, investment property in um, in the sort of uh, late 80s. Uh, and then, um, uh, and I was in Canberra at the time uh, working and then, moved back to, to Sydney and then started a self-managed super fund in uh, 2001. Uh, probably started share investing in about 95 though. Um, went to the AXX and uh, heard some talks and uh, spoke to a broker after that and bought a few shares. Um, bit of a disaster actually. Um, I think we must have bought at the top of the market and then they sat there for about three years without moving. <laughs> That's frustrating. Well, yes, yeah, so that, that taught some lessons that, um, that uh, you know, how, how do you do it? Um, what sort of, what do you need to do to actually be able to make money consistently? And uh, and that became the journey. Uh, how do you, how do you learn how to become a, an investor? And, and uh uh, from what I've read and what I've experienced myself, it, it's it's you know a, quite a long journey. It's about a ten year journey uh, before you start. <laughs> that's if you work at it. That's the hard part. You've got to keep developing those skills and and research and find your own particular way that you feel comfortable with that you can sleep at night. That you can invest your money. What does your investment portfolio look like now? Uh, the portfolio now um, consists of uh, a lot of um, smaller and um, medium caps. Um, uh, I've got some large ones like uh, CSL, 
um, Magellan, REA, uh, and then a lot of smaller ones like uh, ARB, um, Blackmores probably, Nick Scarley, uh, ResMed, uh, a few like that. So I've got about 16 stocks in my portfolio at the moment. Uh, I invest on a, a process that I have no more that I buy no more than six percent for any one stock, and and really try and only have a maximum of two stocks in any one sector. Uh, so that's a sort of process, and I try, depending on the market, um, uh, sort of if you think of the old Dow theory, the way the market moves, you have sort of. You have a, a market that's very exuberant and builds up and goes higher and higher and then you know we have crashes and then it will build up again. So I, I focus on trying to invest in the markets towards the bottom as a sort of contrarian investor. And you emailed Alan Kohler earlier this year to express your frustration with the sad lack of engagement in financial literacy amongst baby boomers. What do you think could be done yes. to increase financial literacy? Uh, that's an extremely difficult one. I, I spent some time in Singapore. Um, my wife had a job there and, uh, and I moved as a trailing spouse and so I had plenty of time and, and part of the Australian New Zealand Association, which is just a voluntary Aussie expat club, I started a group called an investor interest group and had about, over three and a half years, had about 50 people cycle through that. And we just talked about issues. And that really brought it home to me that people, uh, even people with a lot of money, um, don't really think about it and don't work at it. They want, everyone wants easy solutions. They want to be, be able to tap into this magic um, formula and and have it given to them. <laughs> so there's not many people willing to actually put a bit of work into it. So that's the sad part. So how do you get around that? I don't really know. Perhaps we need to start very early in our in somebody's lives so that uh, we we do it uh, perhaps even from school days. And in your email, you also highlighted the complexity of the system for people entering retirement. Did you encounter some pitfalls as you transitioned into retirement? Uh, not really, because we planned our retirement, we'd been in Singapore and we were retiring and coming back to Australia, which we did at the end of 2014. Um, so we had a financial plan, um, which we'd drawn up over many years. And so we didn't really have any real issues in that way. Um, I have a good accountant, so I, I'm happy to pay for advice um, on the technical issues of superannuation and tax uh, so having a plan and we, we now model our plan out about five years at a time so we look at our what our expenditure is um, what our returns are estimated to be uh, how we'll be looking because we've got plenty of challenges I mean from, from this point of it particularly looking forward I mean I'm 70 so uh, we need to be able to finance our our life for the next who knows there's a longevity risk who knows we could live to our 90s mid 90s 
uh, and then you've got to go through perhaps uh, end of licensing and be able to find it. So finance it. So you have uh, things like uh, nursing homes. I'm just we have a member of our family at the moment just looking like needing uh, the need to go into a nursing home and doing some research on that, and they found that you need to put aside somewhere between five hundred and a million dollars to guarantee a reasonable place in a in a reasonable nursing home. That's the bond. So how do you finance that? Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> it's a tough question. That's right. So so if if you don't want to leave things to chance or leave it to your family to have to make decisions when perhaps you are not don't have the capacity um, anymore, then you need to be to have some sort of security of mind and peace of mind going forward. I believe that you need to sort of think about these things and plan them out. And, and when you do plan them out, is that um, does it make you anxious about what the what could happen in the future, or does it make you feel empowered that you're taking that time to do that planning? Absolutely, absolutely empowered. Um, we've been making plans oh, for 20, 25 years, and, and, and in the early days, it was. Uh, we do it on holidays, an A4 plan, an A4 sheet of paper. Just write, you know, what holidays we want this year, what savings do we want, what else do we want to do in our life. And over the years, we've always found that it, it, you have such heightened awarenesses of opportunities during the year that we usually achieve the plan and mostly exceeded it. So it seems to me that if you plan things and you look at as many of the sort of outcomes both positive and negative as you can, then you're as well prepared as, as possible and and that gives security of mind, I think. And another issue you highlighted in that email to Alan was about releasing the equity in the family home to finance retirement. And obviously there's, there was some change in the budget about uh, downsizing opportunities, which didn't really amount to much, but you thought reverse mortgages could be the answer. Tell us more about that. Well, I, 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 I see so many people, well, people retire and they think, oh, I'm going to go on the pension. I think there was some accounting, one of the accounting societies a couple of years ago did a, a plan, did a, an investigation and saw that a lot of people uh, towards just before retirement um, take out an additional mortgage, renovate their home uh, on retirement, cash out their superannuation and pay the mortgage off and then go on the pension. Now, that's fine. You have a lovely home then, but you're living on, I think, the full pension's about 32000 or something, roughly. Um, and to me, that seems pretty close to poverty level. Um, whereas if you've got a home, even a modest home these days, is probably worth $1.5 million dollars. So if you took a reverse mortgage, which just means that you borrow money from a bank or a, a financial institution based on your on, on the value of your home and and they charge you interest, but eventually it's got to be repaid from your estate. So if you've got a one and a half million dollar home and you took a um, hundred thousand dollars a year, you'd pay an interest rate I think currently is about seven and a half percent. So you'd lose a hundred. You'd use a hundred thousand dollars a year. Can you imagine the lifestyle you could live with a, an extra hundred thousand dollars a year instead of living on the pension at thirty thousand? 
32,000 a year. And that's a full pension. So you'd have an enhanced lifestyle. So over a 10-year period, you'd, you'd draw down 10 years by 100,000. But the market value of houses goes up on average about 10% a year. So you'd, you're picking up that this equivalent uh, of what you're drawing down. So at the end of your life, the house is still worth going to cash out at still one and a half million. So your family, children can still get that inheritance that a lot of people see as a very important issue. So it just means that you can enhance your life. Don't need to worry about the annual um, budget where, you know, pension is going to be squeezed and falling behind the cost of living, etc. You can have an enjoyable life still have an inheritance for your children. Uh, and uh, uh, that's got to be a better thing. Well, Bruce, I don't know if it's possible to summarise all of your thoughts, but what would your financial advice to young Australians who have 20, 30 or 40 years of working life ahead of them? How would you advise them to get their affairs in order and, and set up for a successful retirement? Oh, I think uh, I think first of all, you uh, first and foremost in your early years of life is buy a home. Uh, if you look at um, superannuation, and I've done some you know, studies of worked out the numbers of investing in, in uh, superannuation versus investing in the home. Currently, the home is tax free, so you put money into your home, pay off a mortgage, and, and raising children so in your mid 40s early 50s so you, you then can focus more on putting some money aside for superannuation uh, so yeah buy a home would be my advice um, and, and most people you know started with a really modest home uh, further out than you'd like whatever but just get started and then over the years people just upgrade you know, have two or three or four homes over your lifetime. Uh, I think that's just the, the, the only way to go. That sounds like good advice. And, and Bruce, in the TCI office, we're always fascinated to find out how members are consuming the content on theconstantinvestor.com. And in your email, you mentioned that you and your wife read Alan's overview aloud as a bit of a conversation starter on a Saturday morning. Is that right? Oh, we do. We do. It's, that's a key part of our Saturday morning. Um, Alan's very good at the macro view, I think, of the world. And, and uh, I, I think he, he summarises um, uh, the, the situation in the world uh, very, very well. And then we, we, we always ask the inevitable question, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for our life and, and our portfolio? And uh, is there anything we need to do about this? <laughs> so, 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 yes, it's. Uh, I've been following Alan since you know Business Spectator days and all of the uh, the other uh, businesses that he's um, he's uh, transitioned through <laughs> to get to this stage. That's great. And Bruce, what else do you read to uh, enhance your financial knowledge? Uh, oh, the, the, the two key things that have helped me um, in, in my investing is um, uh, Roger Montgomery uh, has a terrific book called Valuable, Valuable, Valuable. Uh, he's a, um, 
he's an advocate of uh, value investing, which is uh, the principle that we follow. Um, and the other one, setting up a, a really strong investment plan is the other key that you need so that you thought about it and you have a, a, a very uh, tight process for investing. And uh, there's an Australian author, um, a, an investor of 40 years, called Colin Nicholson, and the, and the book's called Building Wealth in the Stock Market. Colin also has a website, and he publishes his own personal portfolio each and every week. Uh, so if you have a mind, you can benchmark yourself against him. Um, and they're the sort of core... Um, summarised core philosophies of, of how you put together a process to um, to invest, uh, and we try and we, we've modified it all to suit our own personality. And you've got to do that, but uh, it's a very good starting point. Well, Bruce, thank you very much. It's been fascinating talking to you. <laughs> good. Thanks very much. Bruce Cleary is a TCI member and our Curious Investor, and this is the constantinvestor.com.